Welcome to Kingdom Talk 2.0 Radio Hour with Dennis McCord, founder of God Hope Ministry and Pastor Charlie Avila from Clovis Christian Center. Kingdom Talk is where Christ is King and we are subjects and citizens of the Kingdom of God. Oh yes we are, Kingdom Talk 2.0 every Saturday from 1 to 2 right here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. We're talking all things Kingdom and as usual it's a blessing to be in the studio with my good friend and and uh, pastor of uh, Clovis Christian Center uh yes. that would be pastor Charlie Avila yes hello it's good to be here again with you guys talking about the word of god amen amen, amen. <laughs> and we're going to be talking specifically about our hope that we have in Christ amen. and the reward of new spiritual bodies at yeah. the rapture yes the purpose of the rapture yes and um this comes right out of your book on the end times. Now, we do hold to a uh, historical premillennial view of end times. Mm-hmm. It's historical because the, <laughs> we believe the apostles and Jesus taught it. They believed it. Yeah. And actually, even the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, yes. Obadiah, over and over again, they held to a historical premillennial eschatology. Now, if we ran into them, we went back in a time machine uh, 2,600 years back to Isaiah, and we asked them, what eschatology do you hold to? They would have said, historical premillennial eschatology. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably wouldn't have said that, but that is what they held to. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, it's encouraging to look at God's Word <laughs> because it gives us a great hope yeah. uh, for what's coming. Jesus Christ, our hope. In the last hour, we talked about how being confidence before him at his coming. And this is why, because we know he's coming back and he's going to reward yeah. the righteous. Amen. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll destroy the wicked. Uh, but he'll, he'll reward the righteous. And one of those rewards is, is, is a spiritual body. But before we even jump further into that, we just want to reaffirm our commitment to unity in the body of Christ. We love our brothers and sisters that are dispensationalists, that are all millennialists. My friend, Steve Gregg, I actually recommend listening to him, even though his eschatology is wrong. I want to do a, I want to do a series refuting. Seriously, I really want to do a series refuting his amillennialism, and we can take actual clips from him, and then we just go and we refute those clips. It'll yeah. be a powerful uh, dialogue, and and he, he's a good man. He's on every weekday, Monday through Friday, from from two to three. You can call in, tell him Dennis McCourt said he's wrong. <laughs> and uh, and then ask him some questions about his all millennialism, but um, does no, he ever get mad at you? Does you know, he ever, does he ever like say, "Hey, don't, I, don't, don't I, say I think that a anymore. couple times." Yes, <laughs> he's actually very cordial. He I'm is. more the he's passionate. I'm more the passionate guy. I'm the more the guy that's got like yeah, more the. I never want to disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're my friend. I like, you're I like, my friend. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I disagree with you. So there I don't, don't want to cause any problems exactly. for you. Exactly. <laughs> I'm the one that likes to wrangle. But but anyhow. Um, so uh, no, we'll, we'll we'll cover that. But the point is, we're about unity. We're not saying that our brothers are not brothers because they hold to a different view. Uh, we uh, in essentials unity and non-essentials diversity and all things charity. We always we I, I know I say this every time we talk about end times, but it's important because we don't want the enemy. We're not ignorant of his devices. We don't yeah. want to give him a stronghold. So right. we we love our brothers who hold to different views, even though they're wrong. We give them the right to be wrong. And uh, so anyhow. <laughs> um, but you know, going forward here, we have a very important subject here. Uh, but before we even jump into that, 
we could talk a little bit about what we talked about last week just as a review, how those parables in Matthew 13, but not just Matthew 13, other places, Matthew 25 and elsewhere, that actually show that the rapture and the judgment of the wicked is at the same time, not seven right. years before. Right. That's correct. So so we studied the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, and that parable uh, reveals that Christians will remain on earth until the end of the age, yes. not taken out seven years earlier. So so uh, the end of the age there, hello. Yeah. It's not difficult. Right. I think one of the things that we gave to our people when we taught, we're, we're finishing up, by the way, my teaching on the, the rapture here, we're at the end of chapter 22, really powerful, you know, and you just talked about a reward. Jesus says there, uh, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. You know, uh, the rewards are coming. He's going to give to every man according to what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. But yeah, we were talking last week about Matthew 13 and uh, there's that parable of the wheat and tares and used twice there. Jesus says all this happens at the end of the age. Then he went right into another parable, the parable of the dragnet with the fishermen bringing in the good fish and the bad fish together. Mm-hmm. Used it again, Matthew 13 verses 49 through 50 says that all of this, the separation that the angels will do between the good fish, bad fish, the good the righteous and the unrighteous will take place at the end of the age. So those, uh, that phrase was used by Jesus three times there in Matthew 13, Matthew 13, 39, 13, 40 and 13, 49. So again, Jesus is not coming twice. He's only coming once and he comes at the end of the age. He comes at a time of judgment. And then from there we went right into the book of revelation because there Matthew 13, it mentions a harvest and the only place in Revelation that it mentions a harvest is in Matthew 14. So we went there and we saw there's, again, two, two uh, uh, different harvests there, right? Mm-hmm. One was uh, like a, a grain. It doesn't use the actual word like barley or wheat, but it was a, a harvest where you put it into the barn. And that one was by the Lord. The Son of Man uses a sickle to bring that up. Mm-hmm. But then there was a separate harvest if you can use that word uh another it was an angel who used a sickle and he also um but this time it it does use it talks about grapes right the grapes of wrath being thrown into the wine press and they're judged and they're trampled underfoot in the wine press of god's wrath so those are there's two separate gatherings there just like we saw in matthew 13 and then in the dragnet again there's another Right, right there. So, yeah, it's we can make that connection. We can tie them together. So. Yeah, that that's amazing to see that they happen at the same time, both in those parables, but also there in Revelation fourteen. It's at the same time that the uh, the uh, righteous are rewarded, yeah. uh, and the wicked are judged. So now, there's a judgment right there at the rapture. Yeah. That's, now that's just key. for our make that connection. Yeah. 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 So 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 just for our listeners. Um, uh, sake, uh, you are closing out on Revelation 22 at your church there, right? Clovis Christian Center. Uh, are you speaking on that this Sunday? Yeah, so I'm going to be covering chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. Wow. And man, he keeps saying, wow. I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And it has it like around seven times. We want Jesus to come because nothing is going to really be changed, you know, until the the Lord comes. So what that, time is your service on Sunday? Uh, it's at 10.30. 10.30 right there at Clo- Clovis Christian Center right there on Fowler, right yep. in Clovis. That's right. Um, 
There you go. And so uh, stop in, shake Charlie's hand. He might even autograph a book for you. Yeah. Uh, I'll give a free book. A free Again, book. Again, I'm still offering the free book. Okay, so this is the book that we've been covering over the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you go to Clovis Christian Center, please stop in. Um, do they have to stay for the whole sermon or can they just come in, grab the book and leave? They can do that too. <laughs> we had a person do that actually. Somebody that, that knew you, he came by oh, and that's they, amazing. I handed him the book and he walked out. That's, so. that's amazing. No, please stay though. Please yeah. stay, come and, and meet Charlie and, uh, that'll be fantastic. Um, so I want to point this out now. This is, this sure. is important. Behold, I come quickly and you submit, I think it's three times in, in chapter 22, mm-hmm. right? Behold, that's I great. come quickly. Yes. Yeah. And so um, Jesus is speaking. it's been 2000 years, Charlie, right? What, what, what's, what's going on with that? that? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to look at that. Well, one is, is that suddenly that word could be translated suddenly, mm. uh, meaning just breaking into time. So it's not going to be like, it's going to be this, hello, I'm here. I'm coming back. And it's a slow process, but it'll mm-hmm. be like suddenly yeah. he shows up that I think that's a, a, a very good possibility. What he means. Mm-hmm. But I actually lean even more towards a generational imminency. In other words, there's the imminent return of Christ, and dispensationalists love to emphasize that because yeah. they like to talk about how there's nothing that has to happen between right. now and the second coming. Imminent is huge. That's it's part huge of the deal. whole dispensational yeah. pre-trib. And so they might teaching. even use those three verses in Revelation 22 to emphasize that uh, imminent return. Yeah. I would say that it's generational imminency. In other mm-hmm. words, Jesus could come in any one generation. Mm-hmm. That all the things that need to happen, wars, rumors of war, famine, pestilence, could all happen within one lifetime. Mm-hmm. So that's different than imminency. Generational imminency is that there are things that do need to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I think that all the things that need to happen, the whole Revelation 13, the beast, you know, all of those things could happen in a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, Within months, out. even most likely years, okay, mm-hmm. and even even more likely decades, okay, mm-hmm. but not centuries. Yeah, Do you see the difference? Yeah, yeah. So it's a generational imminency. Behold, I come quickly. He could mm-hmm. come. Jesus wants his people alert, watch, watching, sober, mm-hmm. looking for his soon return because he knows our nature. Well, some will say, well, you know, why didn't Jesus just tell him it was going to be a long time? Well, you know what? Jesus, in his veiled omniscience, mm-hmm. he did not know himself mm-hmm. when he was coming. He says in the Olivet Discourse, uh, he says, uh, but of that day, talking about the second coming, not talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, talking about the second coming, but of that day mm-hmm. and of that hour knows no man, uh, not the son, uh, nor the angels, mm-hmm. but the father. Yeah. So there's this veiled, uh, uh, understanding of the second coming of Jesus that the church is not to know in mm-hmm. Acts chapter one. It's not for you to know the times and seasons where the father has put in his own. Now we can understand the general gist of what's going on, but we're not going to know the day or the hour. Yeah. And every generation needs that, <laughs> motivation for holiness seeing mm-hmm. that all these things shall be dissolved what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of our lord we need that motivation of the generational imminency of the coming of our lord to motivate us to watch sober be looking and have faith when he returns to be confident mm-hmm. at his return yeah you know i i, I also have a, a perspective um 
I wrote a devotional commentary on Second Peter and uh, verse by verse. And in that third chapter, when he starts talking about the coming of the Lord, there's people that are going to question when is the coming, and um, uh, they're saying, "Oh, he's he, you know he's not going to be coming." And uh, but if you remember when he starts talking about the day of the Lord, there um, he quotes uh, really from the Psalms, but he says. For a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. And I like something that Barclay said. He says, the way God measures time is not the way we measure. That's it. another good point. Yeah. And so when he says, I'm coming quickly, well, <laughs> he told Abraham, you're going to have a child. And he had to wait a long time, you know? Uh, so, yeah. so God's measurement of time, why would he bring that up right there when talking about the end times and talking about the day of the Lord and talking about the judgments of God and talking about that fire is going to come no longer going to be a judgment of water like he did in the days of Noah. It's going to be a judgment of fire. Why does he bring up this whole issue of time that God measures time at a different rate than we do? So I think God's perspective is different. And, but yeah, I think that, um, what you just said is correct too. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's the truth. So all those things need to be considered when we read that. Yeah. And I hope that's helpful to our listeners. So thank you for, for bringing that up. Yeah. So we were talking there and, the wine press in Revelation 14 is also mentioned again in uh, Revelation 19 there at the second coming, the glorious second coming. There's Jesus coming on the white horse with his armies and he comes and he himself treads the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of God. And we covered that last time and we connected that with Isaiah 63 where Isaiah shows the Lord coming a mighty in power, his garments are red because you've been treading down what the wine press again. His garments are are red because of the blood of his enemies. They're splattered all over his garments and they've stained his clothing. And all of this happens when on the day of vengeance or the day of the Lord. And he concludes by talking about the day of the Lord. I'm going to trample the nations in my anger, he says in Isaiah 63. In my wrath, I'm going to make them drunk and I'm going to pour their blood on the ground. You know, that's interesting uh, when you look at that that in, in Revelation 14, it is the son, the one like the son of man, Jesus himself, who yes. has the sickle, yeah. who harvests the righteous, the rapture, really, right? Mm-hmm. In Revelation 14. Yes. So we, we know that's Jesus. He yeah. sat on a cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped, yeah. right? Yes. Um, it says, uh, uh, another angel came uh, out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, uh, and it says, uh, in verse 14, uh, and I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud, one sat like unto the son of man, mm-hmm. the son of man is a reference to Daniel seven, who is the divine figure there who uh, comes in the clouds of heaven to the ancient of days, yeah. showing the divinity of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So we, we see having his head, a golden crown and his hand is sharp. So we know that's Jesus. And then revelation 19 as you point out, uh, is, is the same person. That would be Jesus. Yep. Uh, and, and he's, he's clothed, uh, uh, uh has a vesture dipped in blood mm-hmm. and his name is called the word of God. That's clearly Jesus. In the beginning was the word John one, one, and the word was God and so on. Yeah. The armies of heaven were, were followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword Mm-hmm. smite the nations and rule them. And again, that term wine press is mentioned. Yeah, there now, it is again. So wine press there. So it's the son of God, son of man, Jesus with the wine press. Mm-hmm. And we also see the, the sickle there, uh, uh, in chapter 14, mm-hmm. uh, showing that it's the same event. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, it talks about the grapes, 
Yeah. The grapes, right? Well, that's, that's in the, that's in the, uh, the, the, the judgment of the, uh, wicked. Yeah. But it does have the son of man coming with a sickle. And then you tied it in Isaiah 63, where his, the son of God also having his vesture, his clothes, uh, splattered with blood. Yeah. Whoever, whoever that person is there says is coming. He is mighty to save. I mean, the language there obviously is pointing to Jesus. Sounds like there's, a savior. there's no, right. there's no, there's a deliverer that's coming. Right. So you can make that connection from Matt, from revelation 14, talking about the wine press, yeah. revelation 19, talking about the wine press, right. Isaiah 63, talking about the wine press coming, trampling his enemies underfoot, the blood, not the, wow. grape, not the grapes, but the blood are, of his enemies are splattering on his garments and uh, talks there about the day of the Lord. It concludes talking about the day of the Lord, that God is coming in his wrath and his anger. Those are key words. Yeah. All that language is all connecting together. Uh, John was writing. Wow. Uh, he had this revelation, but it was matching exactly because it's the same God, same Holy Spirit that gave that revelation. You know what just came to me right now? Yes. And I believe it's the Lord. A futurist understanding of Isaiah 63, 64, 65, and 66. Right. Because preterists right. will put all this stuff in the past. Oh, Clearly, yeah. though John the Revelator is using the same terminology, wine press, yeah. blood, yeah. the son of man. Yeah. Okay. Uh harvest. Yeah. There I mean there, there's just four four uh aspects. Uh right. there's probably more. We really go in and analyze it. Yeah. that show that John the Revelator is exegeting and expounding upon. Yeah, He's doing uh, expository teaching, really, mm-hmm. of Isaiah 63 in the Revelation, chapter 14, towards right. the end of the chapter there, and chapter 19, mm-hmm. in the middle of the chapter. Yeah. He's using the same terminology, showing that the context of Isaiah 63 is futuristic. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's already been fulfilled like many preterists want to point out. Yeah. That's been really emphasized for me over and over, Charlie, yeah. recently, is is to, to look in context yeah. of the actual prophecies of the Old Testament. What are they talking about? And how are the New Testament writers using them? Yeah. And it's been such an encouragement. It turns out mm-hmm. they were largely futuristic and they were yeah. premillennial. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like I said earlier, they were historical premillennialists. Yeah. Over and over, uh, especially in that last chapter, which I'm going to cover this Sunday, I've been reviewing it and studying it, uh, this week uses the word, the prophecy of this book, the prophecy of this book, the prophecy of this book. It's a prophetic book. It's speaking about the end time, uh, events and yeah, we're, we are in the end times right now and definitely in the getting closer now to the day of salvation for sure. So uh, where, where will you find that language? There's another prophetic book where you find the wrath of God. You find the day of the Lord. You find the wine press again. Where do you find all that language in the book of Joel? And mm. uh, for those uh, who are watching, you can go to my website, teacher of the Bible. I did a verse by verse study on the book of Joel uh, years ago. We have all the auto files, PDF, uh, lecture notes, homework, all that PowerPoint. You can get the whole thing, but we cover Joel chapter three, verses nine through 16. And I don't want to go into a lot of the detail, but it does clearly describe the battle of Armageddon, right? All the nations are gathered. They're assembled for war. The Lord again, um, comes against them. They're all advancing into the Valley of Jehoshaphat for judgment. 
And the key verse is uh, Joel chapter 3, verse 13. It says, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes. And we read that before this, this, uh, we started the program. And the NIV, the NLT, others' translation don't use that, but it's uh, using the word grapes. But it says, come trample the grapes, or come trample there. And for the wine press is full, and the vats are overflowing, so great is their wickedness. So the wine press is full of wickedness, and God, the Lord, again, is trampling underfoot. And so, uh, again, we saw that in the second harvest there, Revelation 14, verses 17 through 20. It's for not for believers, but for unbelievers. We see the words again, sickle, harvest, grapes, wine press, all here in one verse. When does this take place? It doesn't play, take place at a secret coming. It says clearly in verse 14, it takes place on the day of the Lord. Actually, the language is used right there, the day of the Lord. The main revelation of the book of Joel is the day of the Lord, that that mm-hmm. is the primary teaching of the, like Zephaniah, day of the Lord, day mm-hmm. of the Lord. That was the main teaching. I'm going to show you the day of the Lord. So again, the day of the Lord uh, is when the rapture takes mm-hmm. place in Paul. And next week, by the grace of God, we're going to cover that in First, First Thessalonians uh four and five next week we'll cover that teaching uh, over there and so that's very very important to connect them so isn't that isn't that amazing that you can connect all these verses together and it all makes sense it's like a puzzle piece puzzle pieces fitting together we're not trying to uh, spiritualize anything it's very clear it's very simple and it's interesting there in Joel chapter 3 verse 15 and 16 when he's closing out he says the sun and moon will be darkened the stars will not shine uh, where 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 we hear all that? Matthew twenty four, Mark thirteen, Luke twenty one, all those end time teachings that Jesus gave the same language right out of the mouth of Jesus that Joel was using, Isaiah was using. They're used. Jesus is using it, and it's it's amazing. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and sky will tremble. When is it that the sun and the moon are darkened and the earth and the sky shake? Well, it's at the glorious coming of Jesus on the day of the Lord. It's not a pre-trib rapture. That's what we're trying to get at. It's not a pre-trib rapture. Jesus said, Matthew 24, verses 29 through 30, says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So, mm. so Jesus himself connects these verses in Joel here with his glorious second coming in Matthew 24. So I just reviewed with people, there's not two phases or two stages to the Lord's coming. He's coming once at the end of the age to gather his people into his barn and he's going to trample his enemies under feet, under his feet. So the two harvests in Matthew 13 can easily be linked to other verses in Revelation to Isaiah, to Joel, and we see Jesus coming in judgment to tread on his enemies. And this harvest takes place at the judgment at the end of the age and not seven years before. Wow. <laughs> so we're look, we're, we're connecting yeah. uh, exegetically, meaning yes. pulling from the scripture what's already there. Yeah. Okay, not eisegesis where we're reading into the scriptures. Right. We're connecting uh, Revelation chapter 14, the end of the chapter, with regards to the harvest. There's a dual harvest. There's the rapture Mm -hmm. and then the judgment of the wicked. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Also, Revelation 19, along with Isaiah 63 and now Joel 3, all talking about the same thing. This is the end time, second coming of Jesus. 
Yeah. It is the rewarding of the righteous and the destruction of the wicked at the same time. There's no gap yeah. between them. Yeah. And and what's really jumping out at me again here is this futuristic understanding of, of here, here you have beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears that the weak say I am strong. So this is talking about preparing for war. It's mm-hmm. clearly in context. It yeah. says gather together to, to for war, really. It's, it's multitudes, multitude, the valley of decision. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we see... You know, um, that uh, the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, um, and that Jerusalem shall be holy. Talking about a physical war, but what what happens, Steve, Greg, and others in Isaiah 2, where it talks about the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains, be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Many people shall say, let us go into the mountain of the Lord, the house of God of Jacob. He shall teach us of his ways. We shall walk in his paths. Mm. Um, for 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 the law shall go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, they talk. They 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 look at that preterist. Look at that as being that's that's in uh, the book of Acts. That's mm-hmm. the day of Pentecost going forward. Yeah. But he says, and he shall, and it goes on there in, in Isaiah two. He shall reprove many nations. They shall uh, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That they say that's the church during the last 2000 years mm-hmm. that we are uh, you know, loving one another and we're loving our enemies. Yeah. But the reality is you can't take Joel three and say, well, that's a literal war, which it clearly is. Mm-hmm. And then say in Isaiah two, that's just basically the church. He specifically says he's going to reprove the nations and the nations will not learn war anymore. Yeah. That's a flip flop. Mm-hmm. of what's really going on. Joel 3 is actually where we are now. Yeah. It's it's they're beating their plowshares into spears. Yeah. And their pruning hooks into swords. The war is on. <laughs> the war is on. They're building yeah. up yeah. armament. The nuclear arms race is on. Yeah. Full tilt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And after that, then they beat their their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Yeah. So it's a complete misunderstanding of the times. We're called to be sons of Issachar. Yeah. That is not being a son of Issachar. Mm-hmm. If you are taking and actually doing the opposite yeah. and applying scriptures where the timing is not to be. Yeah, I, I, maybe uh, you can answer this better because you you know more about all that than I do, but it just seems like when you just stay historical, it loses, you lose hope. I mean, what, what, what are you, Boring what, what, are, yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you, what are you aiming for? What's your aim after that? What's your hope after that? You know? And it's just, it just seems like everything just, it just dies. It just all dies. All just any expectation, any hope. It's like, like Roman said, you know, if we already have, if, we, if we've already received it, then why, why are we hoping for anything? You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of futile. So is God going to write all of that, have all these, these prophecies and everything and it's for this small group of people in the first century <laughs> yeah. for like a few, like, like the revelation they, they believe the right. revelation was fulfilled. Right. Yeah. And so he wrote all of that. Right. Uh, in the uh, three years prior that they say, we know we believe, and I think rightly so that the revelation was written mm-hmm. at the end of the first century. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, they say it has to have been written prior to 8070 because 8070 right. fulfilled all these, the right. preterists, right? right. Or even some strong partial preterists that they go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so he wrote it and it only applied for three years <laughs> for a few thousand people yeah. there in the first century. I don't right. think so. No, 
The like message is for the churches. Jesus even said, I'm sending this as a message for the churches. That's what yeah. he said at the end, at the beginning and at the end. This is for the churches. So yeah. this this message is so powerful. It's so necessary. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it because this is a very, very necessary message for all the churches for all time, for, for, for all the time that the church would be here on. In this church age, this is what it was for. It was for us. That book of Revelation is for us right now. So yeah, and, and even some of those it. that believe AD 70 fulfills it, they do think the second coming is mentioned in, in Revelation uh, 19 and through, through 20, mm-hmm. 22. They will say that's the second coming. Yeah. So if Jesus is addressing all the churches for the last 2,000 years, for the, for the whole church age, yeah. then certainly he was addressing all the churches for the church age in Revelation uh, six going forward, mm-hmm. not just a small group of a few thousand people for a few years there at the end of, uh, in, in, in AD 67, yeah. going to, for three years going up to AD 70. So mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So we're grateful for the understanding the Lord's given us by his spirit, Amen. you know, in humility, uh, you know, trusting that he's, you know, we haven't got it all figured out. We're not saying we got it all figured out. We don't, you know, claim to know, you know, when he's coming back, but we do have some great insights from his word and it does give us hope in the midst of a very troubling time yeah well we do know when he's coming back he's coming at an hour when nobody's expecting him <laughs> so yeah. that's the only thing we know is that he's, he's coming when nobody's going to expect him so it's unknown the date setters are very dangerous people in the body of christ so we don't want to be a date setter yeah. yeah one thing for sure that the pre-trib rapture uh, I've read a lot of their books, a lot of their books on how they explain things. And one of the keys that they repeat over and over again is we get, we're going to escape, give your life to Christ. So you can escape, escape at persecution, escape the mark of the beast, mm-hmm. face the great tribulation, es- escape the antichrist. All it's all a, a long, a very strong message of escape. We're going to get out of here before the trouble starts, you know? And uh, that is uh, one of the emphasis uh, there was a, a pastor here in town years ago that he evangelized people with the left behind novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. He would hand them out and he would tell people as he handed them the book, unbeliever, he would say, you need to read this so you can escape what's getting ready to happen. That, that was, that was his words. That's how he tried to win people to the Lord. It was all, uh, that was his whole message was escape, get out of here. Give your life to Jesus so you can escape. It wasn't so you could live a godly life. It was just get out of here so you can, you know, get this book and read it so you can escape. And But as we read what Paul said uh, about the rapture, and he's the one that really had the revelation from the Lord about its very purpose. What was it all about? And the purpose was not to escape persecution, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, great tribulation, anything. So we can get out of here before his whole purpose was so that we could get a new glorified, immortal, undying, incorruptible, imperishable spiritual body, just like Jesus body. That, that was his big push. He never, he never once said we were going to escape persecution or avoid the antichrist. In fact, he said before the coming of the Lord, the gathering of the saints there in second Thessalonians two and the day on the day of the Lord, he goes, before that happens, there's going to be an apostasia, an apostasy and the man of sin is going to be revealed before that happens that these two things have to happen. So we know that that is the purpose. And Paul repeatedly uses that language 
And I'd like to always highlight Philippians chapter three, verse 20 and 21. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're already citizens of heaven right now, but we're eagerly awaiting a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Here's the key. He will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be, they will be just like his glorious body. Now that's an important point. So, so we're going to, dive deeper into that regarding the hope of a new eternal spiritual body that goes forever and ever, never dies, never gets sick. Yep. Uh, you can eat as many beans as you want and never get tired <laughs> of eating. Um, yeah. and so that's super important. That's, that's, uh, uh, you know, one of the main reasons it's not the only reason, but it's one of the main reasons for the rapture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I want to just, just re re, uh, evaluate here what you said about a second Thessalonians chapter two, just to zero in and affirm what you're saying yeah. uh, here. Uh, you know, he's talking about here in chapter two of second Thessalonians. He says, now I urge you brethren regarding the coming of our Lord. Mm-hmm. So he, the subject is the coming of our Lord and by our gathering together, Episunagage. Yeah. Okay. Barusia. Barusia okay. The right gather there. together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unto him. So regarding this, basically regarding the rapture. Yeah. Right that you soon not be shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word or by letter from us, that, 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 that the day of the crisis has already come. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, look, the, the, the rapture has not already come. The day mm-hmm. of the Lord has not already come. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day with the day of the rapture. Right. Will not come except there be a falling away first. Apostasia. Yeah. That word cannot be translated any other way in this context, yeah, other LaHaye. than as a falling away from the faith. Yeah. Okay? Tim LaHaye said it was a catching away of the saints, which so is yeah. false. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. not a good exegesis uh, no. or, or breaking down uh, the etymology of the word and looking at the syntax and the Greek and really analyzing it. No, it means falling away from the faith. Well, look at the context and that mm-hmm. man of sin be revealed so that, mm-hmm. that the falling away, the apostasy happens Mm-hmm. At the same time as as, as the, uh, the man of sin, which by the way, that leads me to understanding that there's going to be most likely, and not saying I'm adamant about it, a Christian facade on the Antichrist. There'll mm-hmm. be there'll be a world religion. All religions will be brought under it, mm-hmm. but it's the apostasy. It's a falling away from, and uh, we we see over and over again the scriptures. They were they went out from us. They were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Who's they? Antichrists in the plural. Mm-hmm. There's many antichrists, but the singular antichrist, um, uh, Jesus said, many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, my name, they will be Christian. So there's going to be, I believe a Christian, uh, facade, uh, mm-hmm. a false Christian facade, uh, on the antichrist. But anyways, apostasia, that, uh, noun, it means to remain to stay there you go. in the truth there you and go. in righteousness. Yeah. Apo means that you've fallen away from that. So you, you can look it up in several Greek dictionaries, authoritative Greek dictionaries, and that means clearly someone who was in the truth is no longer standing anymore in that truth. That's very good. So, so an apostasia cannot be somebody who's an unbeliever, right? It can't be somebody who was never in the truth. Like a person can't, uh, a Muslim can't come to me and say, I'm an, I'm an apostate from Islam because I was never in Islam. If I was in Islam and then I converted to Christ, 
then I could be an apostate to them uh, uh, because I'm away from Islam and I no longer stayed with the teachings of the Quran. But if, but if I, uh, so if I was never in it, they can never call me an apostate, right? So if you were never a believer, they could never call you an apostate because you were already lost, you know? So apostasia means it was somebody who stood in the truth and now they're turned away from it. Somebody who stood for righteousness and now they're no longer standing in it. So that's a very definition of apostasia. It never had any other any other uh, definition. In fact, when you read in the new t- in the in the Gospels, when Jesus used the the teaching on divorce uh, there, and he talked about handing somebody a certificate of the word a divorce, that word certificate is apostasion. Same word. So if you hand somebody, you were married, you were in marriage, and now you're being handed this, and now you're going away from your husband. The wife has been sent away with a certificate. Same wording. Uh, you used to be married, you used to be together, you used to be one. Now you're no longer in that. You have this apostion, uh, apostasion, and that's the same wording. So it's the same definition, same wording, same idea. Amazing. So... Uh, anyway, great... I, I think it's, I think it's so simple and I don't know, people try to complicate it and they try to do a lot of spiritual gymnastics, right? If we can, if, if we, if you don't agree with us, let's find out what the Greek word says and redefine it. That's really <laughs> awesome. It's a yeah. compound where I love that. Yeah. The, it's a great insights there. Oppo, mm-hmm. a meaning to fall away and then stay, stay, stasis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stasia. Yeah. I wonder if we get our word stasis from that stasis uh, to be in a, a condition of stasis is to be solid you, you remain you stay, you're remaining yeah. i bet that it's is the, the same. definition yeah it's, it's to be i bet that's to where remain, it comes from a greek in. yeah a greek root there uh stasis. Well, look that up yeah it's yeah. interesting yeah yeah well that's that that's the point though is to really understand there that um in talking about the rapture that clearly uh there has to be an apostasy first and yeah. falling away first yeah. and that uh, yeah, that that's what's going on there. And the man of sin has to be revealed. As to where so, those who believe in pre-trib rapture, they say that the church is caught away before the beast system, yeah. before the apostasy, before the Antichrist, before yeah. Revelation 13, Revelation, you know, talking about the beast, the seven-headed beast, and everything that goes on, Revelation 17, the whore of Babylon. All of that happens after the church is taken. Mm-hmm. Even, even Revelation 6, mm-hmm. the seven seals, all the way on up, uh, with the seven bold, uh, the seven uh, uh, trumpet judgments, and then ultimately the seven uh, bold judgments, mm-hmm. all that happens after the church is taken, mm-hmm. as to where we see here clearly just mm-hmm. one section here of scripture in Second Thessalonians, to many places, but just just looking at this one place, yeah. you can see that it happens after the falling away. Yeah. Um, uh, so this this body, this lowly body. Uh, literally in Greek is is a body of humiliation, and, and our bodies really are are lowly bodies, right? I mean, and the older you get, the more you realize how old how lowly your body is. You know, we get <laughs> weak when you're sick. You feel that this body of humiliation, but we're going to get this new body, a glorious body like His body, and um, so we're going from a body of humiliation to a body of glory. Literally in the Greek, that's what it says. So that's that's our resurrection body. When Jesus rose again from the dead, Mark sixteen twenty says that they, when they saw him, he appeared. I love that language there, Mark sixteen twelve. He appeared in a different form, <laughs> a different form. His morphus was Morphe, different. Yeah, yeah, he was different. And so, uh, F. B. Meyer in his commentary on Philippians, he said, one day we shall be like him, 
Why? Because our our mortal body shall be radiant, like with immortality like his. You know, we're going to have this immortal body. 1 John 3, 2 says, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, right? But we know that when he's revealed, then we shall be like him. We we just went over that in Kingdom uh, Talk the previous hour. As he is, you know, that's how... that's why we're going to be like him. The only way we can be like him is we have to have the same body that he has. And mm-hmm. he has a, that glorious body. We're going to get the same body. And Paul had just finished talking about that in Philippians 3. Uh, earlier, a few verses earlier in verses 10 through 11, he said, you know, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection being conformed to his death. So that by any means, I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He was talking about the rapture. Whatever it takes, he says, I want to make sure I'm part of that rapture crowd that gets taken out out. from among the dead. Yes. The first resurrection is for the righteous only. It's not a general resurrection. This is what all millennialists get wrong along with other things is that they say that there's a general resurrection. The white throne judgment happens at the second coming. No. Yeah. The the one in Revelation 20. No, that does not happen then. Mm -hmm. It's Paul specifically says that I'm attained unto the resurrection ek necros Mm -hmm. out from among the dead. Yeah. Meaning that dead are left behind yeah. and the righteous are raised up out from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Paul makes another important rapture purpose statement in first Corinthians 15 verses 42 through 44. A lot of people spend a lot of time down in verses 50 through 55 where he talks about the last trumpet and all that. We're going to be changed. Mystery, mystery. Yeah. yeah. And all yeah. that. But here he already had set the tone for what he was going to say later in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44, he says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead, the rapture. He says, the body that is sown, per- uh, is, uh, sown is perishable, is raised imperishable. The body is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it's raised in spiritual body. So you can see those words, right? Perishable, uh, dishonor, weakness, mm-hmm. you know, those are, that shows you the lowly body, that body of humiliation. Mm-hmm. He says, so, so if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So this resurrection of the dead is the rapture. Uh, it's an amazing description of what, what's going to happen to us. We're going to get a new body for believers only. It's going to be imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, incorruptible, and immortal. So I think that is tremendous that we will never get sick, never die, never sin again. Um, and that's amazing that our body will never get old again. We're going to have a perfect body. Hallelujah. What a hope the, we have uh, with forever with Jesus Christ. So this, this really, I, I think that's very important because mostly what people see uh, what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection, it's all spiritual, but no, Jesus also purchased a new body for us because of his resurrection we have a hope for our resurrection, right? So, so Jesus got a new body. We're going to get a new body. So the culmination of salvation and what God's purpose was uh, in kingdom life, we cannot inherit the kingdom with this body of flesh and blood. We have to get a new body. We have to get this, this glorious body like his body, or otherwise we can't get into it. We can't inherit this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So that's such an important point. And Paul had just been talking uh, a few verses earlier there in first Corinthians 15 about if a seed 
you know, has to die, has to be buried and planted into the ground so that it can be raised up, right? You have to plant it so it can be raised up. Same thing when somebody dies, you know, that body is planted down so that it can be raised up on the last day. Wow. So yeah. I love that wording here that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. He said it four times. It is sown, and then he says it is raised. It is mm. sown, it is raised. It is sown, it is raised. It is sown. It is raised. So mm. it's planted in the ground, sown in the ground, and then it's raised up. I've often wondered what happens to people that get cremated. But anyway, that'll be another thing. We'll let the Lord worry about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but weak bodies before will become powerful bodies in eternity. Sick bodies before will be perfectly healthy bodies forever. Decaying bodies will not uh, will be incapable of any decay. And uh, these lowly bodies now will become like his glorious body. I mean, that is so awesome. Paul was just adamant. He goes, I want to make sure I attain to the resurrection of the dead. I don't want to miss that, you know, because uh, once I get that glorious body, I'm going to live forever, you know? So what do we see here that we don't see any mention of escaping persecution? We don't see great tribulation. And by the way, the word tribulation, there's the ellipsis, the main word used for persecution in the book of, um, in the New Testament, 40 out of 45 times, it's applied, tribulation, thelipsis is applied to believers. <laughs> we're not going to escape anything. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to be in tribulation all the way to the end, the end of the age, you know? So, uh, another rapture verse, very important is, uh, the one in also to the Corinthians, but it's the second epistle, second Corinthians chapter five, verses one through four. I've even heard ministers out at funerals out on the cemetery say, Oh, we're going to, we got a mansion in heaven that these, they use these verses to talk about having a mansion in heaven, but these verses are not talking about a mansion in heaven. These are talking about our earthly body, this tent that we're living in. And we're going to get this, uh, heavenly body. So he says there for second Corinthians five verses one through four, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, a key word dealing with the rapture, this groaning, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. We're not going to be disembodied spirits forever and ever. For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed with mortality. Mm. Uh, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We're going to have this new body. So Paul called this present physical body a tent, right? It's a temporary dwelling place. When we, you know, when we go up to the mountains for a couple of days, we can take a tent. But when we come back home, we live in houses. And that's the same concept here. You know, we're right now dwelling in this tent. We're going to lay it aside so we can take on this eternal house that God is making for us. So Peter spoke about his body being a tent. Second Peter, right? Verse uh, chapter one. I like that emphasis on the contrast between a tent and a house. Yeah. So it's permanent. Yeah. It's a permanent forever. dwelling from, from a temporary dwelling mm -hmm. to a permanent dwelling. That's a really good insight right there in second Corinthians chapter five, verses one to four Yeah, that he makes that distinction there. Yeah. Peter yeah. said, yes. Second uh, Peter one, 13 to 14. Yes. I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent, it's interesting. I'm in this tent uh, to stir up, stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly he goes i'm going to put off this tent mm -hmm. just as our lord jesus christ showed me so we, we we take down this tent it's pretty easy to take down it's you know we die uh, but we're folding up a tent 
and we're awaiting this permanent one that's coming at the rapture. So once again, what's the emphasis? He's emphasizing getting a new body. He's not talking about escaping. He's not talking about avoiding trouble or affliction or tribulation or anything like that. He's talking about getting a new body. So we have this eternal house not made by human hands. It's something that God has created. It's a, it's a creation of the Lord. So another thing we saw there, right? It says we're groaning. And again, the older you get, the more you're, you're going to groan, especially when you get up in the morning, you're going to groan. Your body is weak. Um, we have quite a few elderly in our church. And I noticed over the last 30 more 30 years that I've been there at that church, man, when you deal with the elderly, you're going to deal with illnesses. You're going to deal with doctor appointments. You're going to deal with weakness. You're going to deal with people being sick. You're going to groan. The people are going to groan. We don't maybe do that when we're just young, but when we get older, you're going to feel it in your body. And so Paul talks about there in second Corinthians five, he says, uh, for in this, we groan where there's this, there's a longing, I guess I just say, but in this tent, we're always groaning, you know, we're groaning, we're longing to get this new body. So that takes us right to Romans eight, where he talks three times. He mentions the whole thing about groaning there in Romans eight, this earnest expectation of the creation. And we're, we're eagerly awaiting this deliverance of, of the children of God. And it talks about these birth pangs and he talks about the first fruits, a resurrection. And he says, we groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for the adoption. What the redemption of our body. There it is again. What is he talking about? We're getting a new body. That's whole thing is tied to getting a new body. So, so important that we emphasize that for people that the purpose of the rapture is to get a new body. That's just exactly right. And uh, it's amazing to know that we have that hope, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. But, you know, it's kind of like when dad went on trips, you know, um, and gone for a long time, uh, you know, as as kids, we would expect that he'd bring something back with him. It was Mm -hmm. him. We wanted to see dad. We wanted him to be there for dinner. Mm-hmm. But on a long trip, um, you know, um, there was an expectation that he bring back a, some sort of gift yeah. from the trip, some sort of souvenir or something like that, right? Yeah. And so it isn't just Jesus coming; it's he's coming back with some gifts, some rewards. Yeah. With him, what? What? It just it just becomes that much richer. Yeah. The hope that we have, uh, especially in light of all that's going on in our world, all the troubles and the struggles, you know, that we can have confidence before him at his coming. And have hope Amen. to know that when he comes back, we get Jesus. Yeah. But we even get more than Jesus. We get yeah. all those rewards. An eternal body, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Mm-hmm. Never get sick. Never going to die. We are not without hope. That's awesome. Without hope, you can't have any faith. We have hope. We have faith. <laughs> yes. And so. hope is always out in front. It's yes. just, you, you can't hope for something you already have. Right. Right. So Romans it, 8 it, said that. Yeah. We look forward to, uh, talk about looking forward. My goodness. We look forward to the, the glorious appearing, the second coming of our Lord. And so Amen. Uh, we have such a tremendous hope, brothers and sisters. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord and, and, and keep rising up in hope, knowing that he's coming back with the great reward for all of us. Isn't it amazing Christ. here? Paul's talking about we're eagerly awaiting this adoption. You know, we're being adopted. He's talking about the first fruits, which mm-hmm. is a feast of first fruits, right? It's a resurrection term mm-hmm. of the spirit. And he says, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies, you know, not mm-hmm. our spirit. Our spirit's been redeemed. Our body hasn't been redeemed. But at the rapture, our body's going to be redeemed. When you go to Luke 21, 
Verse 27 through 28, uh, Jesus says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now he says, when these things begin to happen, he says, look up and lift up your heads. Why? Because your redemption yes. draws near. Your new body so draws talking near. About, that's what he just finished talking about, redemption of our body. Jesus is talking about here, redemption draws near. You're going to get your new body. Your body's going to be redeemed. So our redemption is not just salvation of our spirit. It's also the salvation of our body. So we're saved spirit, soul, and body. I mean, we're, we are completely, completely saved the totality of who we are as people is is going to be redeemed well, by the Lord. The golden, supernatural it's the golden chain of romans 8 right those yes. whom he foreknow them he also justified whom he justified them he also glorified mm-hmm. uh so 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 the glorification is the glorification of our bodies yes yeah throughout eternity so jesus says uh, uh there in the uh, parable that yeah. we were referring to in in matthew 13 and the wheat and the tares He says, I love this. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun. Sun. Then shall the right, you know, (laughs) C.S. Lewis said that um, if we knew, if I knew what you were going to look like, Charlie, you know, when you were glorified, if if you appeared to me in that form, Mm. I would have to restrain myself from bowing down (laughs) before you because of the glory that we're going to have in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, Jesus comes back and he sits upon the, the throne of his glory, right? Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. his holy angels with him, his messengers. Yeah. Uh, and, and so and so we're a part of that. And I love how in Daniel 12, he says, uh, those who turn many to righteousness shall shine as the sun and, 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 and as brightness forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an amazing glorified yeah. body. Yeah. Hallelujah. What a hope we have. How can we be sure that we're going to get this body? Mm. Uh, where, where's our hope Ooh. at with that? How can we be sure we're going to get it? I mean, down, somebody told you, uh, Pastor Harley, yeah. you're going to get a going to get a brand <laughs> new house right on the right on the beach. You're going to be able to see the ocean. Come you go right on. down. You're going to say, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to give that to you. Well, what kind of guarantee do I have that I'm not right. really going to get that? That's just a false hope that you're giving. Right. Me. No, but God has a very powerful truth tied to this new body. And that involves the Holy Spirit. And that's where this whole teaching comes in. Paul was the one that really had the revelation on it, that Christians are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I love that. So this, so he said it four times. The Spirit is the deposit. That, that Greek word there means the earnest money, the guarantee, the down payment, the pledge. Hallelujah. That we are going to get this new glorified body that we're going to receive at this bodily resurrection. That's great news. So if you have the spirit living in you, it becomes the down payment to get this new house, right? So if you want to buy a new house here, you got to put a down payment, you get a car, you got to put a down payment if you're getting a loan, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to put the down payment, which guarantees that you're going to give the rest of the money, right? So just like people today put a down payment on a car or house, that means they promise to give the remaining balance. Well, God has put a down payment for us by giving us the Holy Spirit. So now we're guaranteed this glorified body later on at the rapture. And so Paul uses it in four different sections of the New Testament. Second Timothy, uh, Second Corinthians 5, which we were, where we were just were. Mm-hmm. It says, now it is God, verse 5, who has made us for this very purpose. And he has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Oh, that's so rich. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
with whom you were sealed for the what? The day of redemption. There's that language again. That your, your bodies are redeemed. We're waiting for that redemption. We're lifting up our heads, waiting for redemption. That was Ephesians 4.30. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, Now God set his seal of ownership on us. We, we, we belong to God. That's, he set this ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. There it is again. Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14. Having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. All the language matches up. All the language ties together. We're sealed. The sign of ownership uh, in Revelation, that becomes a very important statement. Sealing uh, the seals, uh, people are getting sealed. Uh, there's a seal of, That's right. Uh, right at the end uh, there in Revelation 22. I was preaching on it last week. Our 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 our, our foreheads are have the seal of God, God. with His name yeah. on us. That shows we we are owned. We belong to Him. We're His possession. We're we are His forever. And whoever whoever. Uh, controls your mind, controls who you are. You know, God, that's that ceiling is going to take place there wow. on our forehead. But anyway, what we're getting to here on these scriptures, I'm going to read them. Just I'm going to just quote them again. Second Corinthians five, verse five, Ephesians four thirty, Second Corinthians one twenty two, Ephesians one, verses thirteen to fourteen. All say that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit, a down payment guaranteeing what's going to come. Guaranteeing. What is it? Going to get a new body and, like his body. Uh, a new body that is forever and ever. And it guarantees that we're going to be kept until the end. Amen. Uh, it's just amazing. And it says um, that we've been sealed by the Spirit. How do we know we have the Spirit? Well, in 1 John, it says, yeah. basically, we know we have the Spirit. We know we're truly born again because we have faith, obedience, and, and love. love. Of course, spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, discerning of spirits, healing the sick, you know, all those things. But but we have that, knowledge. It's, it's such a confidence that we can have at his appearing because we're walking in faith, obedience, and love. When we Amen. love our enemies, we know we have the spirit. Amen. And so that's, that's an awesome, secure hope that we have. And that word for sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is our guarantee, as you said, sfragizo mm. is, is an amazing word. And it, it, it means literally like a seal that they would use like on a king's ring where they would take wax and they would yeah. seal something Stamp. and that would secure it. It would secure mm-hmm. it and it would make sure that it was delivered intact. Yeah. And that seal marked it by the person who was sealing it, showing that it belonged to him. Yeah. And so it's about identity yes. as belonging to the one who is sealed. It's about Amen. knowing that it's secured. It's going to be kept intact uh, until it's fully delivered. Amen. And that's us. That's yeah. the hope that we have here. And that's what we're talking about here on Kingdom Talk 2.0 uh, here every Saturday from 1 to 2 with Pastor Charlie Avila and myself, Dennis McCourt. Again, yeah. diving deeper into the scriptures. But let's definitely lift up our heads. Let's yeah. uh, look to Jesus, who is our hope, knowing that he's coming back soon and that we have a reward when he comes back. We get Jesus Amen. himself, yeah. but we also get the fullness of the kingdom and all the rewards that are a part of that. My goodness, yeah. it's worth it all, Pastor Amen. Charlie. And then next it, week we're going to be in First Thessalonians 4 and 5 talking about the rapture on the day of the Lord. 
Definitely Amen. open your Bibles up when you listen into Kingdom Talk. God bless you all. Have a great Saturday afternoon. We love you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.